So obviously kids stay in, that's fine. Um, I won't preach for 45 minutes. Um, but there is a room just through there if you want to take your kids through there, if you feel that's, that would be more fun for them, that's fine. Um, but as I've said, it's something else new. Last week we kind of launched for the first time publicly. This week um, we're starting Acts and the title which is on the screen is The Mission of God. So you read through Acts and you kind of see God's people on mission the whole time. That's what they're doing, that's their purpose. And Acts, if you like, is a sequel. I don't know if you know this, but Acts is written by Luke, who writes, guess what, Luke. So I want you to kind of consider Luke and Acts as almost one, one book, really. They kind of flow on from each other, okay? So often with sequels, sequels are rubbish, aren't they? Keanu Reeves in Speed. Have you seen Speed? That's an amazing film. I'm going to ruin it. It's about a bus and a bomb. But it, it's really good. But Speed 2 is rubbish, I mean, it's got Sandra Bullock in. That's about the only redeeming feature. But it's awful. Lion King, possibly the greatest movie of all time. Lion King 2. Oh, my days. It's worse than The Little Mermaid. It's awful. And so on and so forth. Alien vs. Predator. I like Alien vs. Predator. Alien vs. Predator 2 is so dark, you can't actually see anything. You might as well just sit in a, a dark room. So don't bother watching AVP2. Just sit in a dark room. It'd be better for you. Often sequels are rubbish. Now, there are exceptions to the rule. Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. But also, Axe is an exception. Axe is not rubbish. It just kind of it carries on from Luke. And Luke's probably my favorite gospel. And Axe just kind of picks up. And Luke's really careful in the first part of... Um, the uh, section of Acts 1 to just explain what's going on. I just want to read, um, I'm going to read it by looking at the screen, I think, because my Bible's too small print, so if it can be on there, that would be wonderful. Ah, fantastic. So it's our reading. It says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he'd chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Is that the end of the reading? Or is there another bit? That might be the end. Okay, great. I should know that really, shouldn't I? But verse 1 says, In my first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Not a great start, Acts, if you've got a lisp. Um, difficult name to say. But in Luke, he began explaining all that Jesus was doing. And in Acts, that's effectively what continues. If you look at the first 11, if you've got your own Bible, the first 11 verses, which is what we're looking at this morning, every single verse either mentions Jesus or Jesus is speaking in it. Okay, Acts is kind of the continuation on from Luke. It's often called the Acts of the Apostles, but I, wanna, I would actually quite like to rename it the Acts of Jesus 2. So if Luke was the Acts of Jesus 1, 
the axe will be the axe of Jesus too. Because all through, it's almost like Jesus is the artist, kind of the painter. And the apostles are like, you know, the picture, the canvas. They're heavily involved, they're busy. But the whole time, Jesus is the one that's orchestrating. Jesus is the one that's building his church. Jesus is the one that's doing the miraculous. It might be the apostles that are kind of the vessels, but the whole time Jesus is the one that is uh, doing it. And Jesus here in Acts, we'll see, is all about mission. Now, we all have our own missions, don't we? Get rich or die trying. Get promoted at work. Grow the best beard. Score the winner at Wembley. Problem is, we can kind of apply the missions to, we apply it to our own mission at church. Oh, my mission is just to pray more. My mission is to read more. Now, they're good things, but I think asking what is our mission, what's my mission, Jesus, is the wrong question. At Redeemer, what I want to ask is, Jesus, what's your mission? Jesus, what is it that you're doing, and how can I be a part of it? And thankfully, in Acts, we're told what that looks like. So as we go through it, hopefully we'll see stuff that kind of sets what the church, what we want this church to be like, what culture we want to have, what DNA, if you like. What blueprint from the first church can we lift and apply to our time here? And the first thing I want to say in the title for the sermon this week is Spirit-Filled Mission. I'll just read verses 6 through 8. It says, So when they come together, this is the disciples, and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So the disciples have met Jesus. They know he's alive. Jesus has died, but they know he's now been raised from the dead. He's been with them for 40 days. So it's not just a fluke appearance. He's been around for a long time. And he says, well, you were baptized with John's baptism, but just wait, just wait. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. But the disciples have kind of They've got something else that's playing on their mind. Look, they ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What they want is their nation to be restored, to become a military power. They want the Romans to just be gone. They think Jesus dying on the cross and being raised to new life means we can become a sovereign nation again. We can become the center of the earth again. We can have glory and fame. So that's what they're asking for. That's what the disciples are wanting. And yet, it doesn't happen for them like that. It's a little bit like, I kind of think when I read this, the disciples are kind of like your kids if you've got them. They're in the back seat of the car. Are we there yet? Is the kingdom restored yet? Is it time? And you've not even left Chesterfield yet, and your kid's going, are we there yet? And you're going all the way down to London, and it's four hours, and it's a nightmare. And she says she needs a wee-wee the whole way. But Jesus doesn't answer the question. Jesus doesn't say, okay, well, this is what... We're going to restore the kingdom right now. He doesn't say that. He says something that's more important. As if to say that their question about whether Israel will be restored isn't important at all. And he says, actually, more important is that you're spirit-filled and that you do mission. You know, I think in the church, not just this one, but in church in general, we can spend all our time debating, like, hot topics, can't we? And it's really great to say, oh, what's your opinion on this? What's your view on that? But actually, it doesn't achieve all that much. There's a world out there that needs to hear about Jesus. And it's almost as if the disciples are going, oh, when will the kingdom be restored? When will this happen? Let's debate predestination. And Jesus is like, actually, I've got something for you to be getting on with. I've got something for you to be doing. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. 
The disciples are restless. They want to get on and do their own mission of restoring the kingdom. But that's not Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission is this. It's wait, be filled with the Spirit, and then go. So that has to be ours as well, doesn't it? To wait upon God, to be filled by his Spirit, and then to do his work. You see, I think church, and maybe we'll be guilty of this too, we can come up with really great ideas. And as Christians, we kind of blunder through things. We think, oh, this would be great. Let's just do that. We know a little bit about Jesus. We know a little bit about his Bible. This seems like a good thing for us to just do. But I think Jesus would say, no, actually, I want you to stop. I want you to wait. I want you to wait for my presence and then go in power. You know, one of the temptations, I think, with a church plant, with something that's new, is for us to move too much too quick. Is to try and do everything straight away. But that's not, what the, that's not the kind of remit that was given for the disciples at the start of Acts. Jesus could have said, yeah, go and do all this straight away. They're given a big brief, but it's not having programs left, right, and center. It's actually, I want you to wait upon God. I want you to wait for my spirit, and then you'll know what it is that you need to do. Before I briefly explain the mission, it's worth touching on what it means to be spirit-filled, I think. Verse 8 says you'll receive what? What does verse 8 say? This is whether you've got your own Bible or you can read a screen if it's on there. What does it say? You will receive power. So that's what Jesus says to the disciples. When you wait upon me, you'll receive power. Now, you might not know this, but I'm not a Greek scholar. I've not done uh, a lot. I know Alpha, Omega, a few other kind of Greek words, but not many. And I'm not going to claim to do those kind of things. But power, in this context, is the word dunamis. And dunamis provides the root word for our English, dynamite. That's where dynamite comes from. And if you think about dynamite, what is it? It's explosive. It brings change. Um, if you think about Wile E. Coyote with his dynamite, his TNT, always trying to blow up Roadrunner. He kind of always blowing up the scenery. It changes stuff. I mean, he's a complete failure. But dynamite, you can't miss it, can you? It's as if to say, you'll know, actually, when the power of God comes upon you. You should know. You should know if you're my child or not. You should know if you're doing my mission or not. Because it's like dynamite, it's explosive. Now, it's not always going to be in big explosions. We read in Scripture that God talks to Elijah, for example, in a still, small voice. There's a hurricane, there's a fire, and yet God speaks to him in a still, small voice. And being filled with the Spirit is not just a feeling either. I think we kind of, in our culture, mistake it for, oh, it's just this kind of ooey feeling that we might feel. We feel warmth in our heart. But it's not just that. I want to say if you have great peace in your life, despite what's going on in the world, then that's the Spirit of God working upon your heart. Because we shouldn't have peace. We shouldn't be at peace. We shouldn't be peaceful. There's all sorts of ways that the Spirit of God can uh, be upon us. It's not always just a feeling. It can be the words to speak when you don't know what to say. There are so many times in my life where I've just been completely, I don't know what to do, God, I don't know what to do. And then afterwards you're reflecting and going, I don't even remember saying those things, but they were the right things at the right time because the Spirit of God comes upon you. And you, you don't just feel His power, you just know that God is with you in those times. And my experience is this. Mine is people will say, oh, I don't know what it's like to be filled with the Spirit. And say, well, have you ever asked God's Spirit to fill you? And often I find, my experience at least is, we say these things, but often we're not asking. We're not saying on a daily basis, God, will you fill me today? God, will you speak to me? God, will you show me who to talk to? Will you use me today? And you know what? You'll be amazed when you start doing that, how things change. 
because the Spirit of God brings change and equips us to do mission. I want to say that the Holy Spirit doesn't just come vaguely, but comes with a purpose for us. So all of us here, if we're Christians and we're asking to be filled and going and doing his work, there's a purpose. It doesn't make you an all-powerful nutter, but the Spirit of God comes in order to point people towards Jesus. He comes to put you and me on mission to do his work. You see, Jesus, who's the Son of God, right? He's filled with the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit. He's indwelt by the Spirit. He suffers for. He, you go through Scripture and you could find, I reckon, 10 or 20 kind of references to different ways that the Spirit of God is resting upon Jesus in different ways. Now, if the Son of God needed God the Holy Spirit in order to equip him to do his work, and the disciples, the first apostles who had seen Jesus in the flesh needed to be filled with the Spirit, how much more do you and I need to be in order to do his work? When Jesus ascends into heaven, as we've read, we're not left alone. The Holy Spirit comes and has been sent. And you'll read here, it says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So the purpose of the Spirit filling the believers is that they will be Jesus' witnesses. Witnesses of what? Witnesses of the fact that Jesus died and Jesus rose again. Witnesses of the fact that Jesus is king. Witnesses of the fact that there is a new kingdom, that there's new life, that there's hope. It's witnesses of the gospel. That's what we're witnessing about. We're equipped in order to tell people the good news. You know what? Jesus died for you. We're sinful. Jesus died for us and gave us new life by raising from the dead. That's what they're witnesses to. Witnesses of the resurrection. And that's what we're witnessing to, that Jesus is alive. Jesus is reigning. And it's the spirit that makes a difference in our mission and in our speaking with people. And just on a side, we need to be strategic in our mission as well. I don't just think, um, often we think, oh yeah, mission is just, you know, in a far off country. No, mission is out there. Those people out there need to know about Jesus just as much as people in different countries. But we have to be strategic in what we do. The disciples are told by Jesus to wait in Jerusalem and then after Jerusalem to hit Judea, which is the local countryside, then hit Samaria. Who's in Samaria? The enemies of God's people, in a sense. Not God's people, but the Jewish people. that are kind of hated half-brothers in Samaria. And Jesus says, no, you'll take the gospel and the good news to those people as well. And then the ends of the earth. The disciples weren't given a brief to just take this mission around like headless chickens. They were strategic. So for us it might be, let's start in Chesterfield. Let's start in Newbold or let's start wherever, whichever area of Chesterfield you live in and witness in the power of the Spirit to those people. And then who knows, from there it might go into Derbyshire and then the UK and then the world. But that's the model. And then I want to just talk about the ascension really briefly with you. This is what it says from verse 9. It says, when he said these things, uh, as they were looking on, this is Jesus, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white, uh, white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now this might seem really obvious, but some people don't know this. Jesus is not on the earth anymore. You know, I saw in the news a couple of, it might have been a year ago, that there was a guy claiming to be Jesus in Australia. And people were moving from all over the world to go and follow Australian Jesus. <laughs> I thought, no, Jesus isn't in Australia. 
might seem like another planet, but he's not there. And he's not sat on a cloud eating Philadelphia cheese either with the angels with wings. That's not where he is. He, actually, everyone kind of, when we say, oh yeah, up in heaven, that's where Jesus is, everyone goes, yeah, he's up there. And he's looking down on us up there. But he's not up there, wherever there is. Jesus isn't in. If you, if you went to Jupiter and went round a few times and took a right, you wouldn't find heaven. That's not where he is. He's in what we would say is another dimension, another place. God's place. God's place is altogether different from ours. And that's where Jesus is now. Now, this talk of kind of alternate dimensions... Um, it's kind of a bit out there, but to be a Christian means you've got to believe in the supernatural. You've got to believe in the miraculous, because by its very nature, you've been saved, and that's miraculous. And so Jesus being in another dimension is not unusual in that sense. It's a real, tangible place where God is, just in another dimension. Now, scientifically, I'm not really, I don't really understand that. I don't understand Star Trek or Star Wars, but ask a nerd... And I reckon a nerd will be able to explain alternate dimensions to you. Right? Any volunteers? No, nobody's volunteering. But like, people will be able to explain somehow what that means. I have no idea how it works. But the point is this, that Jesus, who was a man and still a man when he was taken up to heaven, is ruling and reigning on humanity's behalf right now. We read in scripture that when he got there, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down because his work was complete. Not putting his foot up, he's not being idle, but he sat down because his work is complete. People can come to faith in Jesus now. We can be saved. He's died upon a cross and he's been raised to new life. And the fact that Jesus is reigning should help us when we're thinking about doing mission. Should, think, should help us when we're thinking, okay, how am I going to be able to tell people about Jesus? Well, it's okay because actually Jesus is reigning. Jesus is alive. He's not dead. He's sovereign. He ordains all our steps. Everything works together for good. And he's building his church right now through his spirit. I think this place is testimony to that. The church is on the move. God's spirit is at work. And the disciples, though, they almost missed this. They almost needed to be reminded what they needed to do. And we're a bit like them. We kind of need gentle prodding pointing in the right direction we're a bit like the disciples we'll kind of stand there and go uh, as Jesus kind of ascends up to heaven and look a bit clueless and a bit lost and we can spend more time speaking about when Jesus is going to come back than just getting on with his mission but these two men in white robes you'll see say what are you standing around for what are you doing Jesus is going to come back, so get on with it. Actually do what he's instructed you to do. You see, we have to be more concerned with our going than Jesus' coming. Jesus will come back. We don't know when he's going to come back, but he's going to come back. But we have to be more concerned with the fact that we need to go than with the dates and times that he's going to return. You know the homeless people, they have those kind of cardboard cutouts, don't they? And they say, Jesus is coming, look busy. That's right, Jesus is coming, we've got to look busy, we've got to get on with his work and not just go up into the sky. I was in Washington DC a few years ago and for some reason on one of these days it was like um, takeover by crazy people um, in Washington, crazy Christians I call them. 
and uh, they were stopping everybody who was trying to get on like the subway or you were trying to get everywhere and they had these plaques 21st of December 21st of December Jesus is coming back I read the Mayan charts it's fact he's coming back the Mayans the Mayans did it the Mayans did that and it's like how can I take you seriously not even Jesus knows when the f- he's going to return he says the father knows only the father knows and it says this on the NASA website I thought this was quite funny if you went on the NASA website it says if you are reading this story it means the world did not end on the 21st of December people that tell you this is when Jesus is coming back and this is the date and this is the time just ignore them we need to be more concerned with our going than Jesus' coming. Because actually we've got an awful lot to be getting on with. Jesus hasn't returned yet, has he? He's not in Australia. And I want you to just remember the start of Acts chapter 1 with me. In my first book it says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So Luke was all about what Jesus began to do. Began to teach. Acts therefore is the continuation of what Jesus continues to teach what Jesus continues to do. So the question is, well, how do we get involved then in what Jesus is doing? How does the ascension and the fact that Jesus is reigning and the Spirit has come help us? Verse 14 says this, and it's not on the thing. It says, all these, so it's talking about the disciples, plus there was about 120 extras. So this is quite a group of people. With one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. So Jesus said, go to Jerusalem. And then we read in verse 14, there's 120 of them and that's what they're doing they're praying they're worshiping they're waiting on God they're being equipped by his spirit as we'll read in Pentecost to go and do his mission why were they praying when we pray we talk to the ascended reigning alive Jesus in another place that's what we're doing when we pray we're talking to him and there's this album title it's an old album but it's called Touching Heaven, Changing Earth. And I believe that's what happens when we're praying. We're touching heaven, we're talking to Jesus, and it changes earth. It changes what's going on in our life because the Spirit of God comes upon us. It changes our conversations. It, it means people with blind eyes can see. It becomes a reality for us. And through the book of Acts, there is reference after reference to constant prayer, constant worship. It's a sign that ordinary, normal, muddled up people, like the disciples, the apostles, and like you and me, pray. And when they pray, they find themselves a part of what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is teaching. I mean, don't you want to get caught up in what Jesus is doing? Don't you want to get caught up in what Jesus is doing? If Jesus was to move by his spirit in Chesterfield, wouldn't you want to be a part of it? You wouldn't be looking on, would you? You wouldn't be gawping at the sky saying, oh, when are you coming back? You don't want to be those people. You want to be the people that are being equipped to do his work. Because Jesus ascended, because he's on high now, because he sent his Holy Spirit, he's enabled and equipped us to do that. And so we're filled with the Spirit in order to be witnesses in Chesterfield, in Derbyshire, in the UK, and in the world. So my challenge is, Let's wait on God. Let's hear what God has to say. But what he wants us to do is to be his witnesses. And that's what this church, that's what I want this church to exist for. That it's a place where people witness about Jesus. That they go from this place equipped in order to be, tell people about him. They come here and they meet with God in such a way that they just want to on Monday morning tell their co-workers about Jesus. 